following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. But we're talking about the biggest so-called giants in the life of a believer that set us back or hinder us from the things that God has for our lives, the things that hold us back from our calling or steer us in wrong directions and distract us from the big picture that God has for us. And we've been looking at some of the main areas, the main topics that sort of wreck things for Christians. We looked at fear, we looked at doubt, we looked at uh, our past, and we looked at areas of unforgiveness. These are all online and on YouTube if you want to check them out. But the reality is these are uh, some of the biggest things that have uh, hindered the walk in the life of a believer. So these are big deals. We're calling them giants because we have to face them like giants. We have to recognize them for what they are, and we got to deal with them the way the Word tells us to deal with them so we can remove these giants from our lives. The next giant we're talking about is the giant of desire, the giant of desire, which is an interesting one, different from the other giants we've dealt with. Unlike fear, which can creep up from time to time, or doubt, or some of these other things of our past, desire is all around us. As soon as we walk down the road, our eyes, our teeth, there's, there are things thrown at you and I that are supposed to hit our buttons, the desire buttons. And this is not a new thing. This is an ongoing thing. It's been going on since the beginning of time. And this is an area where the believer has really got to deal with this giant and put this giant in place in, in a definitive, clear, and decisive way. Otherwise, it lingers forever, and it goes on and on and on. And the way it works, and I think many of you guys can relate, I know I can, have you ever really wanted something, like you're thinking about buying this thing and you really want it and maybe you research it and you, you really want it and you think, it's going to be really cool when I get this thing, you know, whatever it is, and, and you get it, you know, and you find out, well, it's cool, but it's not that cool. How many, how many have done that before, right? You thought it was going to bring the satisfaction, you really thought this is going to be so cool when I get this thing. You know, ladies, it could be a handbag, it could be a pair of boots. I don't know, guys, it might be technology, the new iPhone, I don't know. But you're thinking, hey, when I get this, it's going to be really cool. I, I'm looking forward to it. And after you get it, you go, yeah, it's really not that cool. You know, it could be a flat screen TV, it could be anything at all, it could be a new car, whatever. When I get this thing, it's going to be so cool. But when you get it, you're like, yeah, it's really not that great. You guys have done this, right? The reality is the next time we want something, we do the same thing. That's what's crazy about it. We think next time this thing is going to be really cool. When I get this thing, I'm looking forward to it, you know? And you get it and you realize it's not really bringing the satisfaction that we thought it would bring. And there's an ongoing pattern in our lives about hoping certain things will bring satisfaction. Certain things we desire, we're thinking, I think this is going to really benefit me. And after you have it, you go, it doesn't really do what it was set up to do. I think that happens on and on, thinking that our desires will be satisfied, but finding out that they won't. I think Mick Jagger can relate to that a lot. That's why he wrote, I can't get no satisfaction, right? I mean, he was well aware of that kind of story. I, I try and I try and I try, but I can't seem to get the satisfaction. There is a pattern, and today we're going to unpack this a little bit, and we're going to look at this giant of desire and what it tries to do in our life and hold us back. The first couple of points I want to 
bring out this morning on why this happens. Why do we want certain things that we desire, but when we finally get them, they don't actually bring the satisfaction that we wanted. Now, this is a big deal too, guys, because we live in the most endowed country on the planet, and we live in the most endowed time in the history of civilization. This is a fact. Yet, we are on more antidepressants than anybody on the globe. Okay? This is a factual statistic. This is, a, this is a, the proof why stuff doesn't satisfy. Yet, yet, we still want things and we think they will. So there's an ongoing cycle, an ongoing pattern. And here's a couple of reasons why. If you're a note taker, you might want to jot these down. But here's why. Our desires are very deceiving. They are deceiving. We think our desires are true and accurate, but our desires are very deceiving. We think things are going to do things, and when we finally have them, we realize, oops, they didn't. So our desires are very deceiving. And the the other thing is that temptation, this is what's important, temptation always promises what it can never deliver. Temptation always promises something that it simply cannot deliver. That's in our lives. This is what happens in our lives. This is what's happened historically. So when we look at this giant of desire, we're going to unpack this today, look at how it operates and how we take this giant out and how we navigate this reality in our life that we're inundated with things and stuff and and things that we desire, but they will clutter and they will cloud and they will hinder our walk and they will hinder the fullness of our calling if we can't put things in place. Um, In Western culture, as I said, this is an enormous issue, and it has a grip on many, not just outside the church, but inside the church. When you talk to people who do missions in foreign countries, they will come and they will tell you the church in America seems very narcissistic. We have this consumer mentality outside the church that we bring right in, and as believers, it's really hard to differentiate Now, we're not saying things are evil. We're not saying money is bad. We're not saying owning stuff and we're not condemning success. I mean, God wants us to be successful and prosper in everything we do. That's not what we're saying. It's not what it is, but where it's at that matters. Guys got that? It's not what it is, but where it's at. God can bless you with millions or billions and you can be a profound steward of that for his glory. That's not the issue. What is the issue is what drives us the impulses that hit us, the desires that pop up, and how we start navigating and changing our direction. If any of you guys have seen Lord of the Rings, you remember that little guy, what's his name, Gollum? Okay, what's his name? Smeagol? Okay, he sees something he wants, and this desire starts to consume him. And pretty soon, you own it or it owns you. And in his life, it owns him. And you see the wreckage, but that's been the story of many through our lives. There's people in modern history, there's people in the news right now, the head of our CIA who just can't keep desires in check. It's an ongoing story. It unfolds all the time. We're tempted with it regularly. It can be manifest in many different areas. The reality is it takes our eyes off the prize and we get distracted with stuff and we start thinking, hey, maybe here or maybe this or maybe that, whatever the desire is, trying to find satisfaction in things that simply cannot bring it. It's been an ongoing plague, if you will, uh, to us. So we gotta keep these desires in check, and if we don't, it grows literally into this monster, this giant of desire. Um, This is what Augustine had said. He said, sin comes when we take a perfectly natural desire or longing or ambition and try desperately to fulfill it without God. 
In other words, God gives you desires and longings and they're good ones. But when we have these other ones and we try to fulfill them without God, that's when the table shifts. Um, Here's the question today, and this is like the litmus test for our lives, for your life and, and for mine. Do you control your desire or does your desire control you? That's really the thesis this morning. Do you control your desire or does your desire control you? Because this is something, guys, that there are many well-intended people inside the church and outside the church, but this is an ongoing reality in their life, that desire rules them. The flesh rules them. The desires rule. That's a very common thing. It's a very natural thing, but we're not called to walk in the natural. We're called to walk in the supernatural. And God is raising up an army and he's raising up an army in this city. And it's profound. I mean, I'm, I'm sensing God wants to do some radical things. But if we don't come to terms with these giants and where we are and where they are, if desire rules us, we can never qualify to be used radically for the glory of God. We can't. But if we come to terms with these things and we're able to consecrate things in our lives, in other words, just put them in their place. If we're able to do that, God can use us profoundly. So do you control your desire or does your desire control you? And I want to look at a few snapshots in scripture, uh, some of these in your bulletin or you can uh, open up your word if you have your Bible with you this morning. But I want to look at some snapshots in history of biblical accounts of people who started well but literally got wrecked, got wrecked over this desire thing. They just couldn't keep it in the right category. And as a result... This giant grew to a monster and it overtook him. And if you were to look in the spiritual realm, if you were to look through spiritual eyes, if you were to look through a special lens in the spirit realm and look back at history, modern history and and just older history, you would see along the way people just kind of strewn along the road, just kind of laid out along the way who started well but didn't finish well because somehow this giant of desire crept in and it wasn't kept in its place. In some way, somehow, over time, whatever it is, it grew to be a monster in people's lives. And again, my prayer for all of us, myself included, is that we keep things in check. And nothing hinders us from living for the glory of God. Nothing takes our eyes off the prize. Nothing encroaches on what God wants to do in our lives. Because if not, this happens to all of us because it's our nature, or it can if we're not careful. Uh, Let's look at the first one, Adam and Eve. You know, whenever you're looking at the word of God, um, it's interesting to see the law of first use is is a term that's used in understanding uh, doctrine and theology. How did they come up the first time? And it usually is a pretty good indicator of the rest of the Bible. And when we look at the first time this concept comes up on desire, uh, it's pretty revealing. And so uh, Adam and Eve is Genesis chapter 3. And in verse 6, it says this, It says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Now let's break this down. If you have your Bible, you might want to underline this because this is a profound revelation on desire. This is a profound insight to what desire is, how it's manifest in our life, and and what starts to happen and rise up and bubble up with inside of us anytime desirable things happen to be uh, presented to us. It says first that Eve saw the fruit. She saw the fruit first. Um, 
And she said, hey, this looks, it looks good to my eye. So first was this perception that, hey, I think that looks good. And that the first one is a desire to look at it. That's where it begins. And the next thing, she's like, I think this will make me wise. In other words, I don't just want to look at it. I think it will actually improve me. And isn't that what we think? We get a new car, get an iPhone 5, get a new pro. It's like it's going to, this is an upgrade. Isn't that what we think when we get our stuff? Church. Yeah, it's some kind of upgrade. Big upgrade, little upgrade. I don't know, but it's an upgrade. And we're like, hey, this is going to benefit me. This is going to improve me. It's going to, uh, whether it's status or feeling or uh, doesn't matter what, it's going to benefit me. It's going to improve me. I will be better off with it is what we think. So first, looks good to the eyes. This one here, she's like, it's going to make me wise. I'll be better off. This is what she's thinking. I will be better off with the thing I'm looking at. Wow. And then it looks good to eat. That's the next step. Not only does it look good to my eyes, not only will it make me better, now I think I want to consume it. I want to consume it. So looks good to the eyes. I'll be better off. I want to consume it. This is the desire to look at, the desire to make me better, to elevate me, and the desire to consume is what this is referring to, consume it. And you and I do the same thing. Here's what's interesting. There is no evolution of humanity uh, the reality is the same thing that was happening thousands and thousands of years ago. It's exactly the same way you and I are if we walk through the mall. Same, same way. And by the way, we got a Black Friday coming up. People are going to bust doors literally open. People are camping out in front of, you know, Best Buy for a week and catching pneumonia so they get a video game or an iPad or something. It's crazy. I mean, everyone's like, I want stuff, you know. Um, you know, some people, instead of hanging out with your family on Thursday, now stores are opening on Thursday, which they historically haven't. Why? Because I want to get stuff. I want to get my stuff. Um, it, crazy. I don't want to go off on that. But here's the thing. Madison Avenue is well aware of that. Madison Avenue is a place in New York where all the ad firms come from. They are very well aware of, it looks good to my eyes. I would be better off and I want to consume it. In fact, they have this down better than the church does. This is their life. They know that very well. So they do everything they can to make it look good to your eyes, to let you know how better off you will be and how bad you want to consume it. That's what they do. That's their whole pitch. That's what happens, and they want us to consume it too, and that's why we're called consumers. We are called consumers. That's the way they look at us. They look at us as consumers so that we will just consume more. I want to go back to the earlier point that in America, we are the most endowed society in the history of civilization, okay? We've consumed an awful lot, but we're really not better off, not in the condition of our soul, not in the condition of the status of our heart, not in the peace and the joy and the calling of God. We're not. So there is a contradiction in fulfilling our desires in the flesh and what we think we're going to get out of it and the reality of what happens in the spirit realm. You guys see the disconnect on that? Here's the, this is so important, guys, because unless we actually call this what it is and deal with it, and it exists outside the church the same way it does on the inside, unless we actually reconcile with this in our life, it will be an ongoing giant in our life. And this giant of desire will never be dealt with, never be taken out, and it will, it, it will hinder us. The Bible says we're called to run the race to win. So instead of our eyes fixed on the prize, we kind of walk looking at other stuff, you know? And the only animal I know that walks sideways is a crab. You know how they do that? 
Isn't that what they do? They're like looking one way and going the other way. Crabs do that. Yep, we're not, we're not called to walk like crabs. We're called to walk with our eyes on the prize and run. But this is what happens is when we're thinking of desire and we're taking our eyes off the prize and we start getting consumed with stuff. And again, this is not a message on on poverty. This is not for poverty mentality or mindset. God has blessed so many people. Next week, we're going to look at some profound stewardship of people that God has blessed their socks off in many ways, and and it's the hand of God in their life. This is not a statement against anything of, of wealth or prospering in way. It's not what you have, but where it's at that matters. And it doesn't matter if this mindset is a, a house on the hill with a Mercedes. That's not a statement against that as long as that's a consecrated house on the hill. Does that make sense? With God being first, beautiful. It doesn't matter if it's living in an apartment and using public transportation with no vehicle. There still can be the same mindset in that home. Does that make sense? We're not making a statement on wealth. This is, please don't misunderstand. We're making a statement on heart condition. We're making a statement on consecration in the life of a believer. And if you want to be raised up in this army that God is raising up in our city, you've got to consecrate this area. This giant cannot be alive and well in our lives. We've got to come to terms with this giant. So the first point this morning um, is that, uh, if you're a note taker, is that the fall of man began with desire. That's where it started. It began with simply desire. I think it looks good. I think I want it. I think it will make me better. That's where the fall of humanity began. There have been many, many that have fallen since as a result of the same sort of thing. And so um, that's why we got to keep this in check. And I would say that ever since Adam and Eve, all their descendants were born with this ongoing problem, the problem that started with Adam and Eve. You could call it a disease. You can call it a problem. It's called morism. Just more. Just more. How much more? I don't know. Just more. Because somehow it looks good to the eye. Somehow it'll make me better. Somehow it'll add value to me. It'll do something. I don't know. Just some kind of benefit. And I want more. And I believe that's the case in the, in the hearts of the, the human nature. That's our heart. And that's why we have to keep it in check. When that stuff comes up, we got to just keep desires in check. Uh, Rockefeller, John D. Rockefeller. Interesting individual. Um, lived many years ago. A very, I guess you would say, successful businessman. He wasn't uh, in the top 2%. He was the top 2% of this entire country's GDP. Think about that. He owned 2% of all the wealth in the country. And they asked him, Mr. Rockefeller, uh, can you tell us just how much is enough? And his answer was, just a little more. Just a little more. And that is the epitome, if you will, of that mindset of desire. I think just a little more will do it. I just think a little more. And the fact is that it doesn't because the flesh by its nature cannot satisfy. The flesh was not designed to bring satisfaction on this level. And yet we don't really get that and we still try to pursue these areas of satisfaction in the flesh that the flesh, I don't, I'm not saying don't meet your needs and don't find healthy recreation, of course. The, the, have nice things, of course. Enjoy the fruit of your labor, of course. But we start to be driven thinking that we're going to get some level of satisfaction out of things that simply cannot, by definition, satisfy. Um, the, the second point this morning is to, to really identify these forms in our life. The forms of desire, how it comes up. And it says in the passage, it's the lust of the eyes, 
the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. You might want to write those down because they're going to come up. And when we say lust, it doesn't mean necessarily sensual. That's how we use it today in the sense of, you know, the opposite sex or, you know, people think a lot. No, lust is just simply, oh, I want that. I don't care if it's a new shiny technology or something, but sometimes when we're driven and go, oh, man, I really want that. Ladies, it could be that new handbag. It could be anything. It's like, wow, I, those boots are so cool. I think if I had those. It's that same kind of mindset, not just keeping them in check. This is not talking about not having nice things. It's talking about that desire that creeps up and how we have to all navigate it. But there's a lust starts with the eyes going, ooh, it looks good. And just like Adam and Eve, they go, I think it will make me better and it will be good for me to consume. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. Happened in the beginning, happens to us every day. Doesn't go away. This side of heaven as long as we're dealing with these earth suits, it's going to be an ongoing battle to navigate. It's a reality outside the church as much as it is inside the church. But again, unless we consecrate this area, consecrate means to put it on the altar for God. Unless we put God first in these areas, we're not going to break through this thing. We're going to be always subject to being letting our desires that come up navigate us the things we see, the things we look at, I wonder if that will make me better. And we're going we're to be subject to this same sort of thing. And there's no future in this. Uh, 1 John 2.15. Uh, he, uh, he is building on this theme in the New Testament, that same theme we're talking about with Adam and Eve. And this is pretty cool because he ties us in. For the life of a believer, if you want to live victoriously for the glory of God, he's saying you got to come to terms with that because that will wreck you. But if you come to terms with that and you put God first, God can use you powerfully. And this, uh, this is a pretty radical statement. 1 John 2.15, he says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, and he explains them, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. The, world's and, the world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. He uses terms in this passage. He uses cravings, desires, and lust. That's what he says, because he knows not just Adam and Eve's time, he knows in Jesus' time, it's still an ongoing reality of humanity. It's an ongoing reality in our lives. We, we can't be ignorant that we have these impulses to desires that sometimes we don't want to keep them in check. We just want to follow them and we somehow think there'll be fulfillment. He's saying, listen, guys, keep them in check. The word lust here, interesting word in Greek, epitomia, where we get our word epitome from. Isn't it interesting? In other words, the things that we lust after, that we desire really hardcore at times, He's saying that it's like the epitome, if you will, of really loving the world. And he's trying to tell the church back then, 2,000 years ago, really the same thing I'm trying to tell us this morning, is that we can't really love the world and still really love God at the same time. We think we can in America. That's what many would say about the Western church, that, it's, you know, that we don't really separate that. But the reality is we can't, love the world and be in pursuit of everything the world has to offer at the same time as we love God and want to pursue him because it's a contradiction. And that's why he says what he says, that you can't love God and the world at the same time. 
Something's got to give. It's got to be the world over God or God over the world. It has to be. They can't exist in the same uh, realities. They just can't, certainly not in the life of a believer. And so basically he's saying we got to choose. We got to choose between living for pleasure. Some pleasure is good. Again, relaxation, going to the gym, having some fun, eating a good meal, you know, having nice things in your home. Uh, this is not, please don't misunderstand. this is not a statement that things are evil because God, things can be a real benefit and a real blessing in our lives. It's where the stuff is at that drives everything. Um, but sometimes, sometimes, even those in the church, even believers, are still driven by pleasure, my my choices will all be whatever is the most pleasurable for me. You see what I mean? And this is where the dilemma arises. Because if we're seeking pleasure, it's not, I mean, can you imagine Jesus said, I come to bring you the message. Whatever seems pleasurable to you. Say you believe in me, but whatever is pleasurable, pursue that. No, he's like, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then guess what's gonna happen to you? Then all these other things are gonna get added to you. Here's the cool part. The stuff, the desires of your heart that go deeper than what you can even comprehend. God knows us better than we know ourselves. That the desires of our heart, and I found this to be true in my life. I found this to be true, you know, I, I moved out at 16 years old and I was, you know, working and going to school and making money. And by the time I was 23, I had a four bedroom house with a pool and jacuzzi. I had a core, vintage Corvette. I had a custom four by, I had dirt bikes. I had a jet boat, race boat, a lot of stuff, playing in bands, doing this stuff. Can I tell you something in here? Big zero, cerro, nada, nothing. Why? Because stuff doesn't satisfy. My friends are going, dude, that's cool. And I'm going, nothing, it doesn't satisfy. You know what's a reality, a spiritual fact of life? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and he gives you the desires of your heart. Please understand this. It's such a contradiction to everything Madison Avenue can pitch to you. Everything that we can even make holidays about, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's a, a reality that if we don't come to terms with it in our lifestyle, then it's an ongoing hindrance that will block and color and disorient us and take our eyes off the prize. It's a huge thing. So think about that yourself this morning. And in faith, we're going to try to play a video for you uh, right now. And it has to do with the reality of Really, which one are you? Are you the one living for God's glory or are you the one that pleasure matters most? Let's see in faith if this is going to work this morning. Okay, we said it was in faith. Well, you can watch it. The Queen Mary was designed for elegance. It used to take people in the lap of luxury. However, during World War II, it was converted to a battleship. And that battleship is capable of moving 15,000 troops through Europe. Wow, see that? That's the Queen Mary right there. It's got a really cool soundtrack to it, too. I'm not going to try to pull that off. But. 
Mm. So, so what drives us? What drives us? Is it, is, it desi- is it desire and pleasure, which is an ongoing reality? It's a natural reality of just being human, whether you're a believer or not. It's an ongoing reality of our existence. It's always there. It's never going to go away. But what do we, what rules us? If fulfilling desires and pleasure specifically rules us, we're missing the mark. That's what John's saying. No, that's actually loving the world first. That's loving what the world has to offer will fill me, will satisfy me, and that's what I'm aiming at. Or, you know what? Nice things are nice, and thank you, God, for every good thing that we have, but I'm never going to have fulfillment or satisfaction with these, and I need to put you first and seek you first. Do you see the order of that? That is such an enormous step of consecration in the life of of a believer. And in fact, that's what I would say a lot of lordship depends on. We, we acknowledge Jesus as a savior and we appreciate that he came and died on the cross for the sins of the world, but is he the Lord of all or is he not Lord of all? Because some want to say, well, you're the Lord of my eternity, but you're not the Lord of my stuff. Uh, are you the Lord of this, but not my desires? And, and we kind of, he has to be the Lord of all if he's going to be Lord at all. Does that make sense? He's got to be Lord of all if he's going to be Lord at all. And this area of desire is an ongoing reality that we all have to deal with. I certainly do. Um, no one's exempt from this. And we have to come to terms with where we put that stuff. Um, moving on, and I'm just going to hit on a few of these really quick. Um, of this giant on the people he's wrecked along the way. Uh, the first one I want to look at is Samson. Many of you know the story of Samson. Samson was born with a calling. His parents were told, this guy is going to be used for the glory of God. That is God's desire for Samson's life. Samson was young. Samson was strong. And the problem with Samson, although he was physically incredibly strong, spiritually he was incredibly weak. And we look at his life, and instead of controlling his desire, Samson's desire controlled him. And when we look at him, he was born to be a champion, but he died as a clown. Isn't that a sad statement of the reality? He was born to be a champion. God raised him to be a champion. He told his parents, he's going to be a judge. This guy has got a hope and a future for him. But he ends up dying a life driven by desire, and he ends up dying as a clown. And to me, it's the ultimate example of what can happen to anyone with a calling. And we all have a calling. God's gifts and calling are irrevocable. Every one of you in this room, if Jesus is your Lord, he's got a calling on your life. You need to know that. Not to exist, but to live for his glory. He has a calling on your life. Whatever section or slice of society that's in, and whether it's ministry on the workplace or where you are on your block, your neighborhood, he's got calling, he's got gifting, he's got plans, and we've looked at that at length in the past on the plans and definition and works that God has for you. But we can be like Solomon, that if desire creeps up, it will rob us from calling, and it did it to him. Um, It's important to note that the giant of desire, this is another point this morning, this is what it does. It wants to entice us, and then enslave us, and then master us. That's how it starts. It starts with enticement. You think Samson knew that he was going to get enslaved or mastered? No, he was just enticed. That's all, just enticed. And that's exactly where it started. You think Adam and Eve knew they were going to get mastered or enslaved by their sin? and what? No, they didn't know that. They were just enticed. Looks good. <laughs> Maybe it'll make me better. And this is the gradual decline. Uh, Peter, uh, 1 Peter 2.19 says, and I love this scripture, man is a slave to whatever masters him 
a woman is a slave to whatever masters her. Whatever we're driven by, whatever drives us, we are a slave to it. We are subject to it. We might think that we're not, but we really are. So whatever masters us, whatever we, we, we pursue, whatever we come under as our aim, as our direction, as our governing principle or our priority, that is what we come under, and that's really important. Another one was Solomon. In fact, this would be good if the worship team could come up this time. I'm going to close on a few of these. Solomon. Solomon was the wisest man to ever live, the Bible says, but he used his God-given knowledge and wisdom for selfish things. And that's unfortunate because God gave him profound insights. He made Israel the biggest it's ever been, even to date. Peace with all neighbors. It was like, Israel was like the best it's ever been in the history of its size and its governance and influences under Solomon's reign. But then he started to make some turns and get very self-centered with what he was doing. He was using it for the wrong things. Incredibly wise in knowledge, but incredibly weak in self-control. He started well, but he didn't finish so well. And the whole reason why, again, the, the litmus, uh, the, the thesis of his life really, is that he simply could not curb his appetite. He couldn't curb his appetite. Guys, we all have appetites. Ladies, you have appetites. There are a variety of different appetites. The things that, that appear to us that we might want or desire or aim at, a goal, whatever it could be, that's, some of them are good, they're God-given, and some of them are not. They're the giant of desire throwing stuff at your life to aim at, to take your eyes off the prize. We got to get with the Spirit of God and say, which is from you and which one's not. Does that make sense? What are godly, what is going to propel me instead of hinder me? Because people like Solomon and Samson, I think, started with a well-intended you know, mindset. And it wasn't long before they got enticed by something. The Samaritan woman at the well, she spent her whole life trying to fulfill and quench a thirst that couldn't be quenched. And that's why Jesus said, ma'am, your pursuits, and he went and named them, but it could be any pursuits. If you drank from what I had, rivers of living water would flow up through you because Jesus satisfies. Jesus satisfies. Jesus brings a satisfaction that nothing else can bring. And the woman at the well realized that and her response was to run home to her town and tell every single person in it, me, the unsatisfied one, the one with the unquenchable desire, my desire has been quenched. And it was Jesus. And she goes back and tells everyone. It's radical stuff. You know, at that point, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to stop right now. We're going to close in prayer. Um, But we're going to look at the next step of this desire next week of when it is in the right order, when it's consecrated, when desire is consecrated. We're going to look at the blessing and the reality of having desire in the right place because I think this giant of desire, unlike the other ones that creep up from time to time and hinder us, I think we're living in times where matters of desire are being inundated and thrown at us at unprecedented places. That's why people pay millions of dollars for Super Bowl ads and everything. It's just, it's not going to stop. You know, you can't even look at a YouTube video now without an advertisement popping up in front of it. Isn't that a bummer? Everyone's trying to pitch something to you. Why? Because you will be better. Doesn't it look good to you eyes? Your eyes, won't it make you better a person? And don't you want to consume it? And some of these things will cloud, guys. So let's close in prayer right now. And as we go into this season, let us be thankful. Let us be thankful. Can we do that? Can you just, you know, as a gesture of your heart, I'm going to ask, bow your heads, just raise your hands to the Lord right now. And let's be thankful for the things he's graced us with. Let us be thankful for what he's given us. Mighty God, we love you. I thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of it. We thank you for the revelation in it. 
We thank you for the hope and future that it presents to us. But God, we want to say first, thank you, thank you, thank you for what we have. Thank you, Lord, for what we don't have. We believe you supply our needs according to your riches and glory. And we might not have everything we want, but we have everything we need in Christ Jesus. I want to praise you for what we do have, what you have graced us with. And Lord, I just want to, Lord, even a public confession, Lord God, for our eyes, Lord, inside the church as well as outside the church to pursue things of the world that think we're really going to get a satisfaction out of things that can't satisfy. Lord, forgive us for that mindset in your church. Forgive us for having that view that is no different from the rest of the world, Lord. Let us be people who have our eyes fixed on you that really want to live for your glory. That as we go through the malls and everything this holiday season, that we keep things in check. That we would think of what we can buy to bless other people, but we wouldn't be consumed, God. We wouldn't be consumed with stuff and pitches and and offers and things that just look shiny to the eyes and think, wow, I will be better off with that. Let us keep everything in check. Lord, let us keep everything in check. I think you would tell us this morning, Lord, that... He who needs nothing has everything, and she who needs nothing has everything. And Lord, let us put our needs in check. Let us stop getting wound up on all the stuff we need. Let us look to you. Let us seek first your kingdom and the desires of your heart, and all these other radical things will be added to us. And that's fulfillment right there, God. It's a paradox, because we're never going to get that on TV, but we get it from your word. And help us to live as set-apart people who flourish, God, in every economy, who flourish in every season, who flourish, Lord God, to those around us. Let us be life-giving people, not people walking around with need in our eyes, but people with fulfillment through the Most High God, through the power of the resurrected one. We love you, mighty God. Have your way in our life. Do profound things, Lord. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Also, our prayer team is going to come up this morning. And we want to encourage you, any prayer need you have, God is moving powerfully through prayer around here. Any prayer for yourself, for somebody, a need, whatever it is, bring it before the Lord. He's doing radical things in prayer this morning. This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit valleymetrochurch.com.